and welcome to the brand new episode of Podcast, Podcast Maximus. Maximus. Mr. Tom McNally, say hello. Tom says hello. <laughs> and I am Stuart Webb. And of course, it's a big week this week. Appropriately, it is the uh, Back to Future Day. It was on Wednesday. Did you do anything to celebrate that, Tom? Uh, I sold my uh, stashed Lego Back to the Future kits for hundreds of pounds. That is the spirit of uh, <laughs> just making lots Inside of the trading is the spirit of Back to the Future. But, uh, of course, the reason that is appropriate is because we ourselves are going back in time like some sort of Marty McFly. Mm-hmm. To relive so, uh, former glories with uh, different actors hurriedly pasted in. Absolutely. Uh, we're going back a, a mere 10 years to 2005, a very different world. Doctor Who had only just come back. So there was no uh, Star Wars in production. There was no Star Trek in production. All the sort of a big franchises were fairly dormant about points, including Transformers. Greenwave Comics had spectacularly collapsed at the start of 2005 after only managing to put a couple of issues out. So uh, with, with the collapse of Dreamwave and all those stories coming out about Pat Lee and dodgy deals, uh, what, where, what sort of place were you in mentally for a new Transformers comic? Were you excited? Were you uh, trepidatious? Had you heard of IDW before? No, I don't think anyone had heard of IDW before. In the 10 years since this happened, they've really become a main player, but they were just... Uh, they weren't really anything back then. I was optimistic. I was very keen that Furman was on board. I liked the initial publicity things they put out with uh, EJ Sue. Yeah, I think they were quite tight-lipped about what the details would be. So, I don't know. You know, I'm cautiously optimistic at the best of times, and I applied it to this. I suppose the surprise is when he didn't go to Devil's Gym who had uh, G.I. Joe. It was always a bit odd that licenses were two different companies anyway. Mm. Felt like a bit of a lack of coordination on uh, someone of Hasbro's part. Again, unimaginable today, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, Devil Zoo did go for it, of course. We had Don Figueroa on board and uh, they did some pitches. All sorts of rumours about Marvel going for it. I don't know how true that was. DC, uh, I thought. I thought DC was it DC? Was uh, might have been DC, actually, yes. Uh, which, uh, of course, the two big two didn't, and uh, even now, don't really do uh, licensed properties unless it's a property they own. Mm. So uh, of course, Marvel owned everything now. So, <laughs> they, they do a lot more licensed properties than they were t- doing 10 years ago. But only enough, they don't do the Disney comics on uh, the other week. Yeah, Boom Studios picked up all the Disney licenses. They ended up with IDW, who I weren't familiar with, though I had heard of 30 Days of Night. Uh, I can't recall when that film of that came out, uh, but I'd uh, certainly heard of a comic. Uh, I think, sort of like their publicity, they did talk about oh, being the fourth biggest comic book publisher even at that time. But of course, there, there was only really three significant ones anyway. So even fourth, it's like uh, getting the special medal for the special needs child at sports. Say, <laughs> oh, you're, no, well, you're just behind Dark Horse. That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the comics industry is only really. Sh- it's, we seem to have more players, but fewer sales. I think since then. So they were a lot more stable. Uh, a lot less Porsches hanging about the lot. Issue zero is what has had its anniversary. The main series didn't start until uh, 2006. I remember I got the issue zero you know, in my comic shop. I was very excited for it. It was a, a huge breath of fresh air at the time. This reread, though, definitely, it's definitely showing its age. Well, of course, 10 years, that from uh, when this came out, is back to Generation 2. And the Generation 2 comic felt 10 years old at the time. It's sort of a very different uh, style and approach. This comic feels much more different to the sort of comics we're getting now than I was expecting. Well, obviously, issues are intended to go in trains. It's sort of six, five or four issue blocks. Uh, so they sort of they work like that, but they're not as much written 
for the train. It's like uh, you might have a two-part and a three-part story in a train. Well, at this point, IDW were basically doing a train paperback, but it'd be cut up in six chunks mm. because the trains were where the money were. Like, I, I don't know if the chain, that shift, which I guess happened when more than the and RID most started, if that's because digital has become more of a thing, so people are buying the individual issues again, so you don't have to... I think fit. that was that was unique to to Transformers, just because everybody was spooked about Dreamwave. I think they I think uh, they they were trying to battle a perception that this wouldn't be around for long, so we're just aiming for getting infiltration out, and then we'll think about what to do next. From a right perspective, it's quite clear, but had a lot of stuff uh, laid out, but there's all sorts of foreshadowing. And my favourite is uh, the opening of the first issue, Clopper is that computer screen where it talks about various uh, things. Oh, jeez, yeah. Let's, uh, <laughs> a retailer's been burned on the Transformers franchise and everyone's a bit tentative about the relaunch. <laughs> so let's start with a really badly written summary of a viral campaign that never got off the ground, which maybe mentions the Dinobots, but is so oblique that it doesn't really tell us anything except that there's a computer screen running I mean, Internet Explorer. The stuff that was actually relevant was a sort of mentioned casually at the start. I mean, there's an entirely irrelevant bit about crop circles, so he'd like he'd hidden. Yeah, stuff. what's that That's about? Is that supposed to be the Decepticon symbol or something? I, I think it's like, uh, it's just most of his mates on the internet are nutters making stuff up, but there's just these odd little nuggets of truth in there, and he is focused on entirely the wrong thing on his website. It's like a little joke. They had some foreshadowing, but sort of works better in retrospect once you know what the actual relevant references are. Hmm. Of course, what he's also fair to say with filtration is that as it was being written, plans were changing. Uh, Stormbringer, for example, was not part of the original idea. That was a, oh, people don't like the humans, we'll do an entirely Transformers-based series. So all the stuff setting up Stormbringer at the end with Megatron talking to Razorclaw to the original plan. So you don't know what other stuff was being changed as it was uh, as it was coming out as well. So maybe the crop circle thing was originally going to be massively important and it just never paid out. And I sort of read it as a sort of little joke. Yeah, uh, let's let's backtrack and just kind of how the the plot um, ties out. I mean, the most striking thing about this reread was how this is something you'd prime me for. Uh, how similar it all seems in setup to the first Transformers movie. Yes, which uh, it had been announced, I believe, at this time. Uh, I guess it's a case of uh, uh, Fermi writing this, was thinking, how do I do this today? Well, he had pitched to the movie people, hadn't he? Oh, had he? I I hadn't realised. Especially, uh, I think in EJC with his visuals as well, he's thinking... uh, what would look good in the same sort of way that movie designers were. There's a lot of parallel evolution. Mm. Uh, but maybe with some direct influences. I mean, the way it's set up is the most obvious way to do a first Transformers story. And as I've said a few times before, it is amazing, really. It's never happened before like that, where you start on Earth with humans and then you introduce robots so you can do all the exposition from a human perspective rather than what happened in Marvel and the cartoon and... Four million years ago, some yeah, Transformers uh, lived. Where then when they get to Earth and the humans go, what are you? They have to explain it all again to them. Most of the previous versions of Transformers were designed as toy promotion, uh, except really the Dreamwave stuff, and that started as a sequel. This <laughs> is a movie pitch. And also, I guess also they're trying to do Ultimates, uh, and I think a lot of yes, the EJ Sue style is, is, is very evocative of Brian Hitch, so that, that, eats that its tail. Be- would it have just been Transformers? And I think everybody was trying to do the Ultimates. Yeah. 
But then um, the, the the great difference between uh, the trans- between the movie and this is that instead of a pair of glasses, the MacGuffin is a smartphone with a wee little stylus. Well, it's a palm top, isn't it? Remember <laughs> oh, the palm top? Hey, old Jack Bauer would often be ridden about in 24 having to get a palm top that had top secret information on it. With a cell been- modem and a power pack. Well, now we're turning into sort of Peter Kay, aren't we? Hey, remember palm tops, hey? Remember before you had a smartphone, hey? I don't know, it just dates it worse than the cassettes. It's like, what? <laughs> this, is, this is what everybody's after. This is the, why are we... <laughs> just the way Verity talks about it. She's like all this kind of ultra-gear slang. Well, the odd thing is, it starts with the focus on humans. And what Furman said at the time was, when people asked him, why didn't you use Spike? Mm. He went, well, you know, the readership's older, and I wanted to create human characters readers would identify with. <laughs> Did you identify with a homeless American teenage girl, a man who likes to mispronounce his own surname, and a man called Jimmy Pink, who has no discernible personality. Well, he keeps on telling you what his personality is. He says, I am 17 years old, and I like living life on the edge, and I have social problems. I mean, this is not a current problem that's exclusive to to Furman. Uh, This happens pretty much every time people try to like humans in Transformers, uh, because they're trying to like young people, they're trying to like uh, contemporary teen culture, and it's middle-aged men... In this case, a middle-aged British man trying to write young teen Americans and failing as badly as just about every other Transformers voice ever has. That's it, you know, going back to Buster and Owen, the original comic. Well, I don't know, because the comparison here isn't that. It's, it's if you combine Verity and Jimmy Pink, you get Michaela Barnes. Yes, you, you pretty much would. I'm not sure why there's three of them. That has always puzzled me, because obviously, well, again, I may have had plans that would have justified three of them, and he scaled that back when people reacted negatively to the humans, perhaps. But Jimmy Pink does nothing. He's, um, he's there. Even when he came back recently, he's done nothing. <laughs> Grand tradition. He, yeah, he, he's, he's there to, to like give uh, Verity someone to talk to, but he just talks about himself. As he's like, I'm establishing myself. I'm a character. I'm really a character, honestly. And, and he'll tell you what her character is. Yes, you, yeah. you, Verity. I know she you. She tries to be a strong woman, but inside she's a crying little girl. Yes, Jimmy, we know. We have a flashback earlier to when she was <laughs> in the children's home. Yeah, we, we've got that. Thanks for telling us that again. <laughs> yeah, it's so... And also just like the whole conceit. Like, okay, he's a mechanic and he can fix them up. Like, why does Ratchet need fixing up at that point? And it's it's very strange. I yeah, I don't know what was in mind for him, or if he was just kind of being flagged up as something that we could probably use later on. I mean, it's because Verity is sort of stuck around. Uh, it's easy to get. She doesn't really contribute anything as the series goes on as well. It's really Hunter who becomes the important character. Jimmy and Verity chase him about, get gas. And their survival from being gassed is treated as almost an aside later on in the series. Oh, yeah, they're still alive. I can't even remember if they speak in Devastation. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yeah, they're okay for me. Still around, eating something, I guess. Just fish. Wearing the same clothes, some months on end. Christ, they must have stunk quite badly by the end of uh, Devastation. Mm, mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, at, least, at least Verity gets a character arc here. It's like, she is scared of stuff and sees some weird stuff. And then it, you know... It's, okay, it's okay. She gets that okay to be scared moment. That's something. And to be fair, I do know people who really like Verity and uh, think she's a good character. So it might just be my grumpy inability to identify with a young American teenage girl. Maybe I just need to get me a, a palm pilot with a cell modem and a power pack. 
Maybe yeah, that's and, what uh, I need. Really, I would have thought in 2005, that guy wanted to take uh, pictures, taking a proper camera down uh, into that base, yeah. which worked out better for him. But... And it would also make more sense for Verity to want a camp. I don't know, it's that weird, like, she's a net hiker. No, that sort of thing, is it? That's a just, hiker. Is that a thing? She's a net hiker who sends flash mail. He's relatively sort of internet geek, and it's fair to say, I think Furman probably hadn't been on the internet all that much at that point either. I mean, he's trying. He's trying to make it current and relevant, and hats off to him in not just having it be Spike and Carly. But then again, Jimmy Big, he's a mechanic. He has a personality. If he'd been called Spike Whitwicky, he would have made absolutely no difference yeah. to the series whatsoever. So that's a bit odd. That feels like, I tried really hard to do something new here. Even though his character makes it is Spike, I am going to give him a different name and a slightly silly one. Um, yeah, I don't know. The names don't bother me as much as they bother other folk. I mean, um, the, the thing which bothers me... Uh, is that when Ratchet is talking about them, he passes their names all as one block. It's like, oh, he's robotic and weird and doesn't understand humans. But like, they've been there for two years. You think they would have got the hang of, of Christian and surnames, you know? I don't know why Ratchet of Polyhex would know about surnames. That's <laughs> 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 a later innovation. The Hollow Matter avatar is not being able to smile like... That's that that hasn't been very well thought through, has it? But again, it's very movie-ish. As uh, it's a, uh, I guess, having hologram drivers is an obvious idea for them to go about and not be thought of as odd. But it's, uh, it's a great idea. It's, it's a really great idea. It's a better than the old dummies they used to have in the Marvel days. <laughs> Inflatable or something. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really like the hollow avatars. It's a it's a really great addition to the canon. Uh, what are those strange ideas they just sort of forgot about? Uh, even when James Roberts brought it back, it was like, oh, this is a, a, a thing we've not bothered with anymore. We've made an entirely sensible thing for them to bother with and keep up the action. Even Because even if you're not using it as an avatar, it's like, it's really handy tech. It is basically a hard light hologram you can project around the place. That would have, like, lots of different... I mean, the, he uses it in this in, in, uh, quite an odd scene, because I don't know whose benefit this would be for, but he has, a like, a map which unveils from his um, dashboard just in case he has yeah. some uh, stowaways inside. I think the last time it was used uh, well uh, pre-Roberts was uh, the Ultra Magnus spotlight where he uses it to get into their uh, machination or whatever it's called on Nebulos uh, base. Mm. Yeah, he's, uh, just like, he's switching between avatars. Yeah, that's quite early on in the run as well. So it's sort of this interesting idea that uh, almost immediately just sort of gets forgotten. Mm. But uh, we're going back to the though. Of the three, though, Hunter is uh, comfortably my favourite. If I ease a bit of a cliche, and, you know, uh, just to have home at points, you know, one of the first things about obsessive is, oh, you're like Mulder. I bet to really have his home, he's got the I want to believe. Oh, jeez. Yeah, God. And in uh. 2005, that's a bit odd, because the X-Files had ended in Ingdemy. Why would Verity, who was born in 1990, a lot like Michaela Barnes, uh, <laughs> why would she know about like Arnold Schwarzenegger and X-Files like she's a homeless like autistic girl like she's not gonna Twilight be Twilight Zone was uh, the odd one yeah Twilight but, Zone what I the mean, hell there is a thing in America where they do a Twilight Zone marathon on she doesn't watch TV yeah. she's well, she's been in care she, homes she must have I mean, must have had TV in the care home at some point she's <laughs> a net hiker she would be on 4chan she shouldn't be watching Turner Classic movies yeah but it's, it's a post Buffy influence where everybody has to make 
sassy pop culture references. And, and there's some very uh, oblique Buffy references where they like talk bored about now. being Scooby-Doo and <laughs> Bumblebee says bored now. Yeah, but of course it is uh, a hollow avatar, has a touch of a willow about her. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I think somebody, I've not said it myself, somebody said it looks quite like Lindsay Lohan in the, uh, the Love Bug remake. Oh, jeez. Uh, that... I, I, I'm not sure if that actually predates uh, this comic or not, and I'm not the sort of man who research for Lindsay Lohan remake of a love book. Wasn't that remake one of the reasons why uh, the movie people weren't keen on making uh, Bumblebee a Volkswagen again? Something like that. Uh, possibly, yeah. Last movie parallel. Yeah, so because otherwise I have to start mentioning the wrong protector bots again. <laughs> uh, there's a... It's quite a cool conceit in issue zero where they don't really show the Decepticons and they make them very alien and strange. There's kind of these cutaways to like bits of the base. It's um, it's kind of like an anime trick uh, where you just like see something you don't quite understand and there's voices yeah. saying odd things. Though, though Hunter can see Thundercracker doesn't have a pilot. Yeah, I don't know how he managed that from inside a car. <laughs> but... <Hunter> <laughs> there's there's a, a close-up of Starscream's eye while he's saying, Patch! And that looks like something straight from the movie marketing campaign. Indeed, which of course still a couple of years off at that point as well. So it's, it's uh, I guess you already don't have a movie people were aware of the comics, and they do like to use quite esoteric things from comics at times as well. So maybe they saw that and thought, yeah, that's a good poster, that is. Yeah, and then for the next movie, we'll have Sentinel Prime as the villain from that one <laughs> panel in Marvel UK. And, uh, I suppose what we should say, the reason that we've most talked about the humans so far is that this is a very human-centric story. Yeah. Uh, it is story of the three humans, which makes the fact that one of them has absolutely no discernible personality, even odder. Not the film, it's told from their perspective and very much focused on them. And uh, the Transformer presence, which I actually quite like about this series, is how it does increase issue on issue. Like issue zero, a couple of flyovers and ambulance. Issue two, you see the robot mode for the first time right at the end. Issue three, bit, you're in the base, and they have and, a conversation uh, amongst themselves. But it sort of gets bigger and bigger and bigger with each, each issue. Yeah. Maybe the final fight isn't quite big enough in and of itself, because mm. it's just Starscream versus Megatron, and we've already had, like, four Transformers fighting each other earlier on. Mm. Uh, outside the base, when it's... Uh, uh, but, but I do like the sort of sense of escalation to call the phrase uh, i really like uh, the restraint of the escalation uh, i really like how in the first few issues it is just cars and jets because you really it's a, a, it happens uh in the beginning and never really comes back to again just like how threatening it would be for a fighter jet to be chasing after you yes i mean that's just beautifully done that's the tension in ej seems art and the scale and what i'm not talking about ej more at the end but sort of the scale scale of his art is one particular thing I like. I think he does the size thing better than perhaps just about any other artist we've had in the modern era. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, his fundamentals are good enough that he can twist the panel to emphasize that whenever he wants thing. But the, the jets do end up being quite tiny towards the end of Infiltration, uh, the way they like they are in um, the rest of Transformers. But, you know, for, the, for, for in that issue zero, in that spread, the idea that uh, the, you know, jets are really big and really upsetting. Um, they are terrible, terrible weapons. And yeah, what I mean, that I, is intelligent and chasing you is really scary. But the car chase on the highway as well, these sort of uh, tasks. Yeah, fantastic. Lots of dynamic visuals on it. And when the, uh, the two battle chargers do their... Uh, Stealth mode. <laughs> ...thing from 
Dark of the Moon. Oh, no, we weren't going to do any more movie references, <laughs> were we? But it's basically like what they can do in Dark of the Moon, which we've not seen again since, actually, because it's not just weapons coming out of her. They totally change their shape and become uh, just big battery rams. Yeah, I like all the gadgets and stuff. Uh, there's, I think it was very consciously trying to get away from the sort of superpowers aspect of Transformers, which I, you know, it isn't, I don't, it's never quite sat. It seems limiting. Like, oh, this Transformer can do magnets. This Transformer can do sonic things. It's like, oh, why can't, I mean, that's just a gun, right? You can just put that on anyone. Why can't Ratchet have a big turbo booster? Why can't Ratchet have a smoke screen? Why can't, uh, the battle chargers do this weird thing like that's you know they're 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 modifiable also with battle chargers they uh, sort of signal the direction because they're the first transformers to really get a proper bit of characterization uh other than ratchet in that they are just the, uh, the marvel version they, they do a bit of banter on the road they don't get a lot but it's all established for them as they guys like to have fun and joke with one another and that's basically what Furman does throughout this series he takes the Marvel characterizations that works and streamlines them a bit. Uh, Ratchet is basically the Marvel version, albeit one who perhaps hasn't been completely messed up in life as the Marvel one had by the end. Hmm. Uh, Megatron is the, the, the Time Wars uh, Megatron, the sort of a creepic, sardonic, uh, what the hell, I'm a bit cheese off of life, generally version, having to deal with all this crap all the time. Hmm. Uh, take. Putting out fires. So if Furman's places were to pick up where I left off back in the day and just do it again because that works and it does work. Uh, but complaints with infiltration at the time was, uh, for people who really don't like it, is that it wasn't necessary to do a humour-focused story. This is a comic that was basically going to be bought by people who already liked Transformers. It wasn't going to bring in a new audience. Uh, people who sort of be in their 30s or, or late 20s who grew up with it, they didn't need to have it introduced through the eyes of humans. They could have just jumped straight into the story. And while I sort of see there's a point there, I like how it works here. Yeah, it's, you know, I don't think people who made that criticism are necessarily that invested in the mechanics of storytelling. Uh, I think they just want to see, they just want their buttons pushed. Uh, I like it. I like the restraint. I like I like the build-up. Um, it's disciplined. Because it's, it's the same way people make about the films. Mm. Well, obviously the films have to reach an audience of people who are already invested in Transformers anyway, mm. and they've got the cost of CGI, meaning that we have to use it for the, for wow moments. So if you point your camera at Sheila both for uh, Marky Mark for most of two hours, and then just have a Transformer come in and blow something up, but it still works narratively, uh, which isn't something you'll hear said a lot about with Mark Bay films, but... Uh, it's a good idea. It's a solid idea, and it works reasonably well in this comic. Yeah. Um, okay. So here's here's the uh, here, here's my idea, which would have maybe would have put the whole series off on a, a firmer footing. How about if issue zero had been Spotlight Shockwave? Yeah, I mean, you probably have done, uh, how many pages is issue zero? Is it oh, it's like s- yeah, eleven or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah it wouldn't have worked. But, but yeah, I think you could have compressed it into that quite easily by just focusing on shockwave more just having go down to a planet go da 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 and then have dynamots drop out of the sky maybe explain where they came from later on yeah yeah yeah, yeah you could do that you could make it work yeah because that would you know like oh dynamite shockwave oh, they love to fight each other ah yeah i love this now 
I think, and like, you know, it, uh, Spotlight Shockwave is such a grand operatic sweep uh, of, a, of a comic. That oh, it, yeah, it's you know, huge it, for uh, Spotlight Shockwave. Yes, one of the best spotlights. I, I see Even- I also read Spotlight Soundwave recently, and that's great. That's really good. Yeah, cool. I mean, the only real problem with Spotlight Shockwave is it does sort of signal more, even more. Shockwave was the first one, wasn't it? I was to say more overtly than the Nightbeat one, but uh, Shockwave was first. Uh, but Spotlights are going to be very much at the service of the ongoing story, and you can't either read them by themselves or read the ongoing story without reading them, which became more of a problem as the Spotlights went on. And I think oh, that's why they ended in the end, because uh, that was off-putting to people. Yeah, it was collapsed under their own weight. It would have just but, been but, nicer but, to have had an ongoing series and then to, hey, here, issue seven is about Shockwave. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, but I'm sorry, that's what I'm saying. It's all miniseries based at this point. Yeah, it's uh, a bad idea. I don't know what the general status of ongoing comics uh, overall was, uh, at the time, but certainly for licensed properties, miniseries seems to be the thing they were doing at that point for just about everything. Uh, ongoing seems to have come back now. Uh, I, I have heard that things pretty much still are miniseries. It's a clumsy sentence, but uh, but they're just, they're just better at hiding it now. Well, it's on like six issue blocks with an ongoing. Uh, there seems to be a fear that people wouldn't buy high issue numbers that as a uh, both were proven wrong by the fact that sales figures from the two platforms are going in have basically stayed exactly the same after three or four years now. And uh, it almost seems a bit patronising. Oh, they, they won't buy an issue 45. Oh, it's so superstitious. The comics market in the States is just it's, it's just hearsay and gossip. It's not... It's not like a... It's not a mature business, you know, as much as it would like to be. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's held to count by these tiny retailers who just don't really know what they're doing. I suppose I mean, it's what, not so much has to fall with infiltration, but uh, overall what Thurman was doing is that he's very much an ongoing comic writer. He has all these plots on the go at the same time and these different spoons stirring things around. And that suits itself to an ongoing comic much better than a series of miniseries. Infiltration doesn't really work in isolation, uh, he doesn't pay off all his plots. He's got scenes that have, like the scene with a machination, has nothing to do with plot infiltration. That's just for the next. Yeah, it's like, what's uh, going to happen next? It's, it, it's not really a miniseries as such. It is the six issues of an ongoing comic. And uh, trying to make his storytelling style fit in with that is something I think uh, Furman struggled with. I think he'd have done much better being given a, a more of a meaty eye or over to the sky style ongoing. Whereas I can. Long as we can collect it in trains, reasonably neatly, structure the stories how you like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's been it's been very telling. Like reading your blog and reading a book and just say like, yeah, just like it's years until plot lines are picked up on. Yeah, it's uh, he plays a long game. What actually surprised me very about infiltration we read it was how. A lot of the things that we sort of associate with that period and Furman's run aren't mentioned or set up. There's no Dead Universe. No Dead Universe, which really surprised me. There's not even a little hint of it anywhere. Uh, that became such a big thing. It was obviously something that was very much on his mind because uh, it was taken from uh, a Dreamwave comic he was writing called Necromore. That was an idea he had in that. Mm. But obviously, he was very interested in the thought of that comic was cancelled. Uh, but I really like this idea, so I would incorporate it into the Transformers comics, so that's this odd 
but it, no hints of it here at all. Uh, or even in Stormbringer, I think. True. It's, na- it's Nightbeat. It, it would have been Nightbeat, wouldn't it, of course, yes. Uh, and then Escalation. Uh, with uh, Nova yes, Prime's floating uh, head. Because, uh, of course, uh, so that's like the second spotlight, uh, which would have... Spotlight started due with Escalation, didn't we? I don't think they were going... Uh, when Stormbringer was on at that point. Am I right you thinking of that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the dates. That's your department. That's your department. <laughs> checking things in real well, time. Who's going to double check? You like, you like the packaging, marketing, and and the, the chronology. Uh, what do you bring, then? Uh, sass. <laughs> but uh, so, so that surprises that uh, this sort of big cornerstone, uh, not, not just the firm's relationship, because they kept bringing the dead universe back. And even though it's been a few years now, I keep expecting any issue will end with Nova Prime. I remember going, I thought it was over. No. Uh, that's, how, universe. that's how the new game ends. Does it? Yeah, <laughs> the Devastation game. I'm serious. It ends with Nova Prime waking up saying, oh, Nova <laughs> Prime's going to get up in here now. <laughs> oh, dear God. It never ends. <laughs> The machination stuff does seem to some people in an office going, oh, yeah, there's a thing going on here. And I don't think you needed to see that in this, ish- in this miniseries. With their agents in the police force. they've For some reason, the machination is so far, so far reaching that they have just some guys on their payroll. Un- where are they? They're in, like, Nebraska? Like, why? <laughs> they have this local policeman reporting into them. Oh, They're finally, finally. <laughs> yeah, we pay him $2,000 a month. One of the Decepticon bases is in Nebraska, so maybe they put some people in to uh, keep an eye on that in that state. Yeah, I, I mean, the, we don't know it at this point. I mean, I guess we could suspect, but this infiltration is very much like some Decepticons find a Decepticon agent, and that leads to a schism between the Decepticons, and it all culminates in a fight between some Decepticons. Yeah, so it's sort of interesting right from the off, you've got the Decepticon backstabbing going on. <laughs> and I suppose one, one of the shames is at the end when he confronts them all and Megatron goes, if you fight me, I will kill you, Biatchis, <laughs> which is a fairly firm statement from him. And then he fights Sarscream and doesn't kill him. He's like, Megatron, that's where you're going wrong, mate. Yeah. Just... <laughs> it's consistent a... with your parenting. Especially at this point, you know, the backstory hasn't been established yet, but in this continuity, so at just going to what you're told here, these are not major Autobots and Decepticons who are on Earth. Yeah, um, everybody okay. gets a big promotion after this. And it turns out they've all been hanging around in the same group for millions of years. And what, what did Prowl do to piss off Optimus and get this mission? <laughs> <laughs> what That's did he do? That needs to be told. It's like all of Optimus Prime's best friends, it turns out, are on this infiltration squad. <laughs> so, what, what are the odds of that? Yeah. That's, that's our flaw of this comic. That's well, that, that, that kind of makes sense if you squint, because, like, okay, Starscream's there. That's a big deal. What is Starscream up to? He's a big player in the Decepticons. We've got to send our best guys here to do nothing. But he might not have been at this point, man. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, so, uh, yeah, in isolation, these definitely aren't... Like, Prowl definitely isn't running the whole war. Bumblebee isn't... Prime's best friend from way back. Like, the only person who has any kind of connection to Prime is Ironhide, and that's a plot point. One thing of the art, probably my least favourite page of art in this book. Uh, <laughs> Ironhide at the PC. Uh, generally, you know, as I said, I'm a big fan of EJC's work. There's an entire page given over to four identical panels of Ironhide. I, I nearly said Ironside, man. So Ironside sat in his wheelchair of Ironhide looking at a computer screen, thinking, I mean, just like presses a button on the last panel. It's like, did you really need to do an entire page of that? I, 
I don't think they can afford to be that self-indulgent. They're not self-indulgent. They afford to do an entire page on something like that now. Especially now the comics are only 20 pages. Yeah, well, that, that, it makes that cut a little less painful, I guess. Like, oh, people were doing that sort of thing. Maybe they could cut costs here. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's a very obvious, like, movie bit. That would work well on camera. I've seen that scene in many, many TV shows. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, do I guess it or not seen, yes, or... It's weird, because there's some really nice uses of comics, um, uh, you know, around, like the spread, uh, the, the, the double-page spread with Thundercracker we talked about, but then also the bit around, I don't know, issue six or so, where we have, like, the dialogue, the speech panel showing all the Autobots avatars. Like, that's a really nice, comic-y touch. Yeah, for one thing that uh, seemed as very well, actually, he did draws transformations. Uh, oh, geez, yeah, really, really well. Lovely little, uh, bu- 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 uh, like across a page. Uh, it's got a bounce and everything to it. It's, uh, yeah, it, uh, man, I, they, they must have treated him really bad. I don't know why he does, he's not on the, the comic anymore. He's like. I, look, I've had to get for 10 years. How many people stay the same job for 10 years? Mm. Generally, I've, a lot of. Uh, the people from these early days have sort of moved on now. Just, just Bersham. Just Bersham's there. He's, he's still here, yes. He's still going on. Uh, oh, somebody got the hardback. It's, it doesn't credit for individual issues, but it actually lists somebody else first. As, uh, oh, uh, John, John Roush. Uh, John, yes, I was just looking back. I, I really uh, I don't know if colours. the majority of the colours. Or, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a sad tale with the colours. They start off on, uh, on Infiltration Zero being very strong, very nice um, painting, like digital painting, especially on the skin tones and things. It's really, it's really lovely. Um, and also, movie parallels, quite orange. Uh, <laughs> I think that, that one's definitely a coincidence. And then we get Josh Bersham on, and then more and more colorists come on as obviously they're trying to meet the deadline. And the colours just look... Oh, it's, it's more it, than two, is it? Because uh, it's only credits two in the hardback. Issue six has, like, six colourists. And it looks... I mean, issue well, six know, yes, looks uh, really bad for it. Uh, there's a couple of... There's, like, two pages. Like, the big spread of Starscream and the big spread of Optimus, which are nicely coloured. And the rest is just flat and ugly looking. Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, that used to happen a lot, where you'd have lots and lots of colourists working on the same issue, even with the same artists. So that... Only seems to really happen now if there's more than one artist on an issue. So it seems to be a lot more focused on consistency within an issue. Perhaps uh, the work at the time, it was we have to get this out now. <laughs> I mean, it's very detailed work. So perhaps uh, BJC was riding the, the deadlines a bit closely by the end. Mm. Uh, that's not uncommon with Transformers artists, of course. Uh, yeah, well, we got, we got a lot of hallmarks of IDW here. Just kind of the bit of a rush towards the end. A lot of spelling mistakes. And uh, really badly put together Autobot and Decepticon symbols. It's plastered over everything with Illustrator. Going back to the machination, whatever happened to Mr. Jolly? Yeah, well, I was going to say, they've got uh, slightly silly names as well. I think uh, the assumption at the time was, especially when you hear more of their names later on, is that they were all using pseudonyms based upon... Uh, well, actually, you know, Mr. Jolly doesn't really work, but I think all the, the other ones you meet later on all have author-based names like uh, Dante obviously mm-hmm. and people are like oh well I think just using uh, pseudonyms for some reason and it never actually says if they are or not, or not. <laughs> but uh, the fat Hitler Mr. Jolly yeah <laughs> yeah what's his story I guess he wants to be a headmaster to, uh, because uh, why did they all want to be headmasters <laughs> really I mean I can understand that they are they are not they're not in possession of all the facts but they think they are 
uh, and maybe only Dante hears or something. But uh, yeah, I don't know. They run a shell company called Epsilon Holdings, but they're really the machination, but they're a worldwide organization. Uh, is, it a, is it a machination or a machination? Oh, depends on what mood I'm in. <laughs> I don't want this to be a Mac Adams situation. <laughs> Whatever they are, it doesn't it doesn't quite work out. The the fact that there's another Decepticon presence on Earth that's also hiding under the radar, it's just too much. They don't need that in in the mix. You've also got Skywatch, Skywatch, uh, which is another Men in Black thing. Uh, well, I mean, uh, Skywatch uh, ended up quite ludicrous by the end with that uh, old Agent Red, which again sounds like a pseudonym. Yeah, Joshua Red. Whether he's just coming up with odd names. Or Maybe he's Jimmy Pink's dad. He had a baby with Miss White. Furman <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously loves Men in Black, and he loves yes, and it, the X-Files, I, and he loves 24. I don't know what I sort of hinted out earlier. So the X-Files had ended three years earlier. That was a bit passe at this point. It was um, obviously when the film, uh, if I saw the film comes out, it treats the many black genre as a joke. It takes the piss out of it. Mm. Uh, they're completely useless idiots who are clueless and led by a madman. Uh, that's a ma- well, it's not the first time we've done. Obviously, many black did it first, but it's a moderately funny subversion of a very well-worn cliche by this point. And the problem with the many black stuff in infiltration and Dewey Furman's run on it is that it's playing the many black stuff completely straight, even though it's very, very tired by this point. And with their black fans and their complete inability to capture lone people wondering about their secret vaults, it was very hard to take seriously here. And it feels more like something from the earlier 90s than... uh, the X-Files uh, rode a ziggurat of popular culture, but it had done it 15 years earlier. Well, uh, uh, 10 years earlier. Mm, stale. Stale is definitely the word. Uh, it's a shame. As I said initially about how much I like this comic, I'm now starting to rag it a bit. But there are, there are some criticisms to be, to be had here. And there's one bit where Ratchet goes, uh, I don't know how, I t- how you talked me into bringing you here to the humans. It's like, well, that's just the author admitting it doesn't make any sense for him to have brought the humans to his base. So they'd have just been safe and dump them on the road somewhere. Yeah, so <laughs> cheers. Bye. Why, why have I done this? It makes no sense for me. So I could have just took that palm top off you and left you somewhere to go find your own way home. The Decepticons would have never bothered you again. <laughs> so like, at the, 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 the level of technical sophistication that the Transformers are at, they get, they get steadily downgraded as the series goes. But you could... Like, why couldn't he just, while the palm top is nearby him, why couldn't he just scan it, copy it, send it to Prowl? Palm tops, yeah, probably didn't work too well with <laughs> Wi-Fi. Do we even have Wi-Fi 2005? But <laughs> 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 well, I guess Ratchet would have had Wi-Fi, yes. He could have looked. He would have wanted to be just special out-of-space robot person skills. Where it falls out at the end as well is they sort of justify keeping the humans involved is when they go into the Decepticon base. I quite like that. I quite like the the idea that uh, they would have uh, traps against holomatter. But equally, yeah, the base is built at a transformer scale. They should never have found that. Maybe like spending an hour walking across the floor to the wall instead of. So that's very contrived. So you don't seem to think, well, I couldn't just Bumblebee go there himself? He's a sneaky spy. Okay, he doesn't want to risk himself. Uh, there's that quite nice bit where he just goes, yeah, the humans making us die. Yeah. <laughs> they're expendable yeah but, I, I really, I, uh, Bumblebee is such a, a great character here and uh, you can see really what they built upon to make you know evil dictator Bumblebee later on and again it's sort of Marvel uh, the guy who sort of says yeah I'm just going to go 
kill the Mayhem Attack Squad because they weren't going to prime us for Gits version of Bumblebee. Uh, yeah, Bumblebee's great in this. Uh, most, of, most of the Autobots and uh, Decepticons, well, not many of the Decepticons get much to do. But the Autobots themselves, yeah, they're, they're all fine. Uh, there's a nice little gang Sunstreaker, and he's just like, yeah, but one mute. It's uh, it's certainly it's all what Furman's good at. Uh, the quick note characterization, where they don't get a lot to do, but what they do do very quickly says this is what this character does. It's not in huge depth, but it's enough of the story to work. Yeah, I mean, Wheeljack doesn't get. I think Wheeljack's only line is like, "We'll get you, Decepticons," which we'll doesn't do. work but- on any level. This is that uh, spread where you're introducing all the Autobots, uh, where they're slightly odd poses, and uh, Wheeljack has his back to uh, to the reader. <laughs> Wheeljack, and I couldn't could you have just thrown him facing the other way? It's a very odd way to introduce him. Oh, I quite so like that touch. I quite like you know someone. He's weird. It's again, it's very movie like, you know, the way that that's drawn from a very low perspective as well. So, uh, what do you think of the whole idea of uh, infiltration stages? There, obviously, maybe the most recent issue of More Than Meets the Eye, there was a whole thing with Skullcruncher uh, doing a stand up comedy routine where he's basically taking the piss out of the whole idea that this series is founded upon. But no, nobody has any clue what the hell the di- different Decepticon faces <laughs> are. <laughs> where, where do you go from this? sitting in the background to nuke him up planet. What, what's the levels there? What's no, level no, three? Uh, do you think Furman had a firm idea of what each stage was that just never got conveyed? I imagine it? they're probably just quite boring. Uh, <laughs> it'd be like, you know, clean up, washing up, safe mode. Yeah, I think the infiltration, infiltration protocol is really cool. It's sort of the same idea from Invader Zim, but uh, it's a cool idea there too plays into the fact that they're called Decepticons, makes the disguise a lot more interesting. I quite like the idea, quite like the distinction the, the that the Autobots have their hollow matter, like directly controlled by them, and the Decepticons have their slaves, they have their f- facsimiles. Now that's uh, uh, not, I, one of the ways it doesn't really work as a self-contained story is that it never really explains what that body in the tube is. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. It seems to be setting up for something, but, but, but uh, once you find out they have these constructs, but he's an Air Force man, isn't he? Because uh, he's and, the reason why they can fly a load of jets around in US airspace and not be well, found and destroyed. Abilities would afford. <laughs> you can, I mean, they fly like inches above people's heads. That's not. I, someone's got to be covering for them on a quite a high level of government. That's fine. That, I like they, you know they, that suggestion is there that like they have infiltrated the society, so they don't. You know, these things are covered. I'm, I'm going to do it now. It's quite, it's quite like the first film where. The Autobots are the ones who are bothering to uh, assimilate into American culture. Everyone on Earth, Jazz has learned uh, internet slang and they're, they speak English and they're making an effort to communicate with the humans on their level. Uh, while the Decepticons, most of their dialogue is in Cybertronian. They're uh, uh, much less humanized than the mm. Autobots. To get the sense of the Autobots have put on a disguise and mentally, as well as just their vehicle modes, their personas are adopted in, uh, that's an idea the films have basically gradually uh, moved away from mm. uh, this works very well in that first film uh, the difference in how much they care so even here like, the Autobots are interested in humanity but they still bother to get the avatars and to learn about enough about human culture to have appropriate avatars to work yeah but the Decepticons are obviously so much better at this well it turns out most of their constructs are a bit rubbish we find out later on that guy from Spotlight Ramjet who just sat there again, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Fleming and Mark up from Spotlight Soundwave, who just sort of dropped in at the end. 
No, I don't know. They get their job done. I mean, they commandeer that uh, construction site and move it towards, you know, achieving Bludgeon's goals. Uh, you know, they, they, the facilities get stuff done. And of course, they'd have to for the Decepticons to work at all. Of course, that's, that's all uh, later on. So for me, uh, it sort of really goes nowhere, their attempt to take over the American government with doubles. Yeah. Uh, that never. That's, in fact, that's a loose end. Even John Continuity Barber has a picked up on. Uh, oh. I can't even remember what, what the name of that senator was now. There's uh, a senator, yeah, he's going to become the, the president and he's going to use the Magnificence to do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. We're quite, I mean, John, Barber, John Barber, if you're listening, there's, now you're back on Earth uh, fairly regularly. Tell us what happened to that senator. Is he president or not? Did he take over? <laughs> it's a very Astro City kind of uh, uh, story. Like, you know, what happens to the leftover facsimiles? Like, do they try and, like, <laughs> do they try and ingratiate themselves to the, fa- to the fake families? Do they get a job? What do they do? Do they have a, like, a, be like a Blade Runner sort of story? Of course, it's it's classic a spy fiction trope. I mean, Furman loves his spy fiction. There's so many references uh, to it. But, but the sleeper agent who uh, can't possibly be a sleeper agent. Yeah, they're completely above approach. When it turns out, oh no, they were planted here by the Russians 40 years ago, and uh, they were been a spy all along. And maybe even they didn't know it until they got activated. Hmm. There's like 500 episodes of the New Avengers, but it's around that same plot. The doubles episode of the New Avengers, and the man who's going to be our next prime minister gets replaced. And I'm not saying that's necessarily what he was thinking of, but he's very well versed in that genre and knows all the tropes of it and enjoys using those tropes uh, quite a lot across all his work. Um, you know, with the alien technology angle, it's it's pretty palatable. And of course, uh, again. But towards the end of the X-Files, their, their super soldiers plus was about people being replaced by uh, evil super soldiers uh, led by Jim from Neighbours, which uh, didn't really go anywhere either, <laughs> to be fair. So maybe that was a direct homage. OK, so it wraps up in... in I quite like the carnage of the end. It's, it's, it's very low stakes. This is where I think the movie adaptation theory sort of breaks down because you wouldn't have your Transformers the movie 2007 ending with a scrap between the Decepticons but I like uh, Megatron showing up and just killing Skywarp and Blitzwing just I mean for the for the intents and purposes of infiltration they're dead now yes um, uh, that's quite nice I like Blit- when Blitzwing's like oh hell <laughs> don't make me die horribly Megatron oh no yes well it was always going to come to this oh here's something a nice touch kind of uh, you know you said that Furman takes the he's quite good at at little character sketches there's a moment where um, Ratchet takes out Runabout in the garage and oh and uh, Runamuck's really uh, Runamuck yeah like gets really upset I like that that's that's a really cool moment and it's also it's kind of there's something really oddly uh parental and sexual about uh megatron taking out starscream it's 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 quite uncomfortable psychologically it's something that nick roche really picks up on is that something you thought at the time or is that you retrospectively from thinking about spotlight megatron and all their later developments i i mean he does he does a hole through starscream's chest there's not much Room for subtext there, while telling him he needs to take his punishment like a man. Hmm. I, I killed the others, but I'm just going to give you a good spanking. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's 
it, it, like, and it's just so the way the Autobots are all standing around shocked. It kind of looks like, oh, jeez, we shouldn't have seen this. <laughs> this, 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 this is personal. Yeah, but well, now I've got a disturbing mental image in my head I hadn't had before, so thank <laughs> you for that. Well, there's always been that sort of domestic abuse angle to Starscream and Megatron. And, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, sometimes a fusion cannon is just a fusion cannon, but... Uh, do, you, do you want to hear my um, my little terminology rant about infiltration? Go on, go on, yes. Well, an orbital jump can be detected by an influx of charged antiprotons. Now, I'm going to guess uh, the words uh, that you dislike in that sentence are anti and protons. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I mean... The whole point of a proton is it's, it's got a charged... It's just like a negatively charged proton. Like, it's just antimatter? I, why would antimatter... It doesn't... I, I, you're rendering yourself speechless with rage. I know, just like... Your fists and going, Whoa! It's just better to say nothing. It's better to say, oh, I can feel an orbital ju- jump coming in. Oh, that's quite interesting. Bumblebee can detect orbital jumps. Okay. Because they're quite, they're quite loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm charge anti-protons. They're yeah, always accompanied by Abba's greatest hits. And then again, like, Megatron is just organized steel and polymer sinew. What, 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 what can you do? Steel? He's made from steel? Like... Space steel. Yeah. And with argon, like, stainless steel? He's made of stainless steel, like a sink? And polymer sinew, like sinew is polymer, is like it's a polymer of muscles, I guess, or is it made of silk? Is it, I don't know. Am I supposed to be impressed? If you don't know what words mean, you'd be impressed, and I you've ruined it for everyone. <laughs> well done. They've affirmed we just got out of dictionary and looked up. Because it would no, I mean that line would actually be more evocative and interesting if Starscream had said Megatron's just flesh and blood like us. Like oh, you know, I guess that's how they would think of themselves. <laughs> I guess that's what we were talking about, the tendency for people writing science fiction to just put in science fiction words into sentences that don't really need them. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why these people would be talking about their anatomy in weirdly specific, but also nonsensical ways. It's even like yeah, me saying, uh, he's just a container of plasma and water uh, carbon cells. Uh, uh, well, I suppose you're not going to point out it's entirely inaccurate in every way. <laughs> well, yeah, carbon cell. What? Uh, it's, it actually is a bit where um, where Runabout and Robinamuck are saying, and this is, this is uh, this is getting super persnickety here. They say that the humans are sacks of a nucleoplasm, but they also say that the humans are bacteriums. Or back, they are okay. a bacterium. Those are both wrong, are they? Well, if you've got a nucleus, you're not a bacteria, by definition. If they're going to be insulting, they should stick to, uh, you know, a, a mode of, of cell that they find... Sure. Because what about what about are exactly the sort of characters who would know what that, those words mean? Well, um, why are they throwing them around? Why don't you just call <laughs> them jerks? <laughs> Ah, but, but you're building up to a titanic rage here. <laughs> no, no, I'm done, I'm done. <sighs> so, so yeah, the other thing we haven't talked about is yours, because that's the other report of being... Oh, yeah, Ultra Energon. Uh, Mr. Introduced. There's quite a nice reason for them coming to Earth. Uh, yeah, it's very important world. It's like, uh, we need something... Uh, we can't, if we treat this as a galactic war, to have the two leaders come here, it has to be something important and significant about this planet... 
And it's not really a de- developed idea about that it exists, but that's uh, quite a nice keystone element that got forgotten about for a very long time and then got bought back for Dark Cybertron, where I'm still not sure what the hell's going on with yours in Dark Cybertron. And I think it's, it's just mentioned again in X uh, Robots in the Skies, hasn't it, when they're talking about Earth has uh, good energy on. It is like an elaboration on the cartoon. Like, it's a rich source of energy, but they don't really quite say what that means. Um, and it's just, you don't have to come up with... Uh, Gee, Jesus, mate, for renewable energy, there's a big sun up there. Go get your solar panels <laughs> out. You have all the power you never want. Yeah, you can travel faster than light. You don't need to be mucking around with Bruce Springsteen concerts. You know, it's also like a credible reason for Starscream to rebel. Obviously, I mean, there's a, there's a subtext, or there's a suggestion here that Megatron has kind of lost the plot. Um, uh, oh, from Starscream's perspective, yes. He's uh, obviously always said himself more important than he seems to have actually been at this stage. He's a stocking guy. He's like, oh, you were going to be my mates, Megatron, and you give me this job, and I, you've had it, mate. Yeah, but so, so the, the Ultra Energon gives him a leg up and like the confidence he needs to confront his abuser. Right? Let's, yeah. just, let's say like the, the Ultra Energon is a gun that uh, a spouse has found and the spouse has a lot of friends <laughs> and they're going to take over the Decepticons. That's a torturous analogy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, what I like about yours, it uh, shows how well it works. Right? It's a good reason for them to stay on Earth as well. Yes. It's an important thing to establish as a reason why they're here. And the latest issues just ignored, so you're wondering why they're still here. But hey, if you've got this context, it works. And that works better than, say, what the films did subsequently, where every film turns out another ancient lost McGuffey from Cybertron's past just happened to have wound up on Earth. You know? so that's really odd. But like, if, if it ends up being like, oh, there's Super Energy on here, but it's really good for Transformers, that could have been their motivation in every film, nice and simple. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it, it and it, it credibly moves i mean the 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 gist of this story is that earth is just a you know a, is not anybody's concern and then suddenly becomes one because of this macguffin is that macguffin that's not a proper use of macguffin it is because uh, no but yeah there no, it is in fact ultra energy is not in an importance in and of itself it is what the other characters do because of it that's important uh, yeah the macguffin is a briefcase with plans in it, nobody cares what the plans are. Okay. It's how the other characters react to getting the plans or the bomb or whatever. So yeah, it, it, that is a correct use of the word, McGuffey. Thank you very much. Yeah, and, and, and Furman, of course, he's demonstrated his love for the Maltese Falcon, so he would know what he's doing with that. Indeed. Have we, have we touched upon everything that infiltration does? Uh... Uh, there's, there's a suggestion that Megatron isn't in charge of the Decepticons. Oh, uh, where is that? Because I mean... Stormbringer, immediately after this, does pretty much show he's in charge of all of them, so it's... Yeah, uh, there's a, a suggestion of the Imperium, which has never, ever come up again. Ah, yes, uh, that is a good point. I suppose that would be the equivalent of uh, Autobot High Command, maybe, and he's just the guy who sits at the head of the Imperium table? Maybe, or, I don't know, it kind of feels like he's talking about his boss here. Like a sort of liege maximo, maybe. Yeah, uh, or the yeah, fallen. Oh, well, I suppose Furman might well have recycled the fallen if he uh, <laughs> got out to it. Yeah, yeah so I suppose that's one of an odd little uh, uh, nods there. Yeah, that's so, not followed up upon, but interesting in its own right. That must be. I mean, obviously, by the time uh, this finished, uh, when it was originally published, uh, Stormbringer came out. How, how did you feel about the fact 
that they were instantly right after going to change direction and go do another story set on Cybertron as they admitted at the time to appease people who hadn't liked infiltration about were you that they were flipping back and forth or did you think it was a good idea oh yeah i liked it at the time because uh i liked the don figaro art and the covers were super pretty and there was a lot of intriguing world building i was quite invested oh there's a new transformers continuity i want to see what's in what's not in uh so yeah i think i i was very on board with it uh you can very quickly see that yeah it was very much like mandated by message board uh, that they were kind of listening to detractors they maybe shouldn't have been listening to. It's this uh, it's very much the the undercurrent of these early stories uh, that they are very much aware of what happened with Dreamwave and they don't want to lose anybody's esteem for any reason, even if it's a detriment of their product. Uh, it's it's yeah again it shouldn't have been miniseries uh, it really this would have been much nicer as a story if we just had a continuation a continuing run we could dip in of storylines and out storylines the packaging of this is a spotlight this is Stormbringer this is Escalation didn't it wasn't to- and it's also very risky for trade but it was very confusing to follow this in trains what's the right order where do you get the especially of course they did a whole load of dreamwave reprints around the same time uh, this is pre-wiki of course it's, it's uh, would be relatively hard to find these things out uh, and i wonder how off-putting that would have been to a lot of more casual buyers that sort of walk in and think oh that's volume one and more of a big ti that's a place to start we'll give that a go <laughs> or, or whatever book uh, you know maybe do it at the moment uh, okay so that you know that that's it in its um contemporary context so in the theme of today 10 years later how is infiltration uh well obviously it's got the weight of a lot of comes after you know, it, that's, it doesn't work in isolation this is the, the ground working of everything uh IDW have done of course since yeah but separate they, that separate that out from your mind well, I'll be thinking of what it, how it starts up ten years later. Or yeah, just I'm, just focus on these on these six oh. and a half issues. Oh, yeah, it shows its age, I think. Uh, not necessarily in a bad way. It just feels like comics have evolved generally, and I wasn't quite expecting it to feel as ten years old as it does feel. And that, that's not a problem in of itself. So it's telling changes, it develops. I'm sure if you come back in ten years and read more of the TI. The more we saw it came out a couple of weeks ago, that would seem as uh, of its time as Vistas. Uh, so I wasn't quite expected that so much. But generally, it flows well, it builds up well. Uh, we've talked about the problems, and there are problems here in some of the plotting and characterization of humans. Uh, but it generally reads okay. I would say it's the best of the shuns, which I would say is escalation. Mm. Uh, I think that is firing at all cylinders, that one, in uh, pretty much every way. But as uh, a quick read, uh, mini, it's very quick to read this, actually, because it is a big action, big sort of... Uh, it's not dense in the text, if you know what I mean. And again, that isn't a problem. I would say, yes, it's solid, if not spectacular. Okay, yeah. What about your good self? I'd say it's less solid. I think it's quite rickety. Uh, in my my reading um yeah it, it dated that's forgivable to a point but the dialogue of your three main characters is 
at times. Yeah, but quite... humans are the main weakness. Yes. Well, but it's quite painful, and and they, they get better as, as as the series goes on for whatever reason, maybe because they're talking less, but and also because they're talking about the plot rather than about themselves. As I say, I, I like the way it builds, and I like the uh, the escalation of the threat. <sighs> yeah, you've got to be quite on board. Uh, to get through it, to get through those characters, uh, to get to the good stuff, and the good stuff's quite light. It's quite and quite slight. Like there's there's not a lot of meat on those bones. Um, it, you know, I know it's by design. It's supposed to be the first thing, uh, but it's written very much with this eye of being this long saga, which it did turn out to be. But wow, that's, that's, that's force, yeah. yeah, it's very optimistic. I, I don't know if I, if I was editor of IDW, I would have really uh, greenlit another series based on this. Considering what had just happened as well, that they went for such a, a long game plan. I mean, uh, if the series that was supposed to come after Devastation, which was uh, uh, expansion, that was, if, if that was supposed to be the climax of all this, and uh, I'm not entirely sure if it was, if there was going to be another show after that as well, that would have been about four years. They did one six-issue miniseries a year. That was about how I was working out, wasn't it? With other stuff in between. You can't decry the ambition. Yeah, very, very ambitious, which I, I think... And of course, it all went wrong. Uh, which uh, maybe They should have done something shorter and more self-contained. Uh, the art is fantastic, but real decline in the colouring uh, as, as the series goes on, which uh, really degrades the art quite noticeably and embarrassingly. Uh, and just clunky asides um, and threads which go nowhere. Uh, there's some there's some bright bits, but and but it's most it was mostly refreshing in the context of what was going on in Transformers fiction at the time. Uh, Cybertron was on the go there, and that was it. it. It was really refreshing just to see the classic lineup doing something quite small scale without a lot of of melodrama, but. Then, uh, yeah, there, 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 it turns out there are better ways of doing that, which uh, we you know, didn't know about yet. Oh, yeah, I would say if it's as a concentrated attempt to get new readers on board and people who weren't perhaps were as interested in Transformers beforehand, which I would say structurally this is trying to do with a focus on the humans, uh, I would say pretty much fail at that because it was pretty much all the same people who were reading it beforehand. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it was actually a very long time for the Transformers comics. Uh, break out of uh, pre-existing Transformers fan base. Uh, the ghetto. The films help there, of course, by reaching such a w- much wider audience, so getting people interested and uh, the efforts of uh, John Barber and James Roberts as well. Uh, I think, as I've said before, Barber as an editor cannot be understated for doing a lot. I mean, who would have thought for a way to get new readers on board isn't constantly reboot the franchise and uh, bringing all classic elements or uh, trying to appeal to people who already read it. It's just it's a really good contemporary comic. Mm. Yeah. Because uh, the, the things which I really like about Infiltration, I only really like because they're different to what Transformers had done. I like the scale of the conflict, but, you know, that's something straight out of a, diff- uh, of a science fiction novel. I like the Infiltration Protocol, but, you know, that's Crib from Invader Zim. Um, I... I <laughs> I like the reveals and the build-ups, but I could get that from any alien invasion movie. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I like the 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 facsimile angle, but like you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is already fifty years old at this point. Yeah, I, I'm not really seeing much for its its mission statement. 
let's redo Transformers as the Ultimates for a whole new audience and a whole new generation. They mess up the generational thing. They they don't bring the stuff they bring new to the table is crib from other places, which is just new to Transformers. And uh, it, that, that's true of the Ultimates as well, though. That's just he's basically doing it as Marvel as an action film. Uh, most of it's kind of imagery and plots are taken from Hollywood. Yeah, you're it's right. It's not even basis for so much of a Marvel universe, a cinematic universe. Uh, yeah. Okay. Fair point. Fair point. Um, yeah, I think it kind of fails in what it's trying to do. It's trying to, it's trying to introduce Transformers to a new generation, and it bungles it. And I think uh, what you said about Hardy W were obviously very scared at this point of putting people off. And I think perhaps they gave. This is going to sound like an incredibly cruel and mean thing to say, so I'll, I'll try to contextualise it. But uh, I think they gave Furman too much for free hand. And yeah, they, and, and they, then they do and, what you like, and then when they didn't like what he was doing, that's where they cut his hand off. It started to go wrong. Uh, but it's well, where he's the author of the fans like uh, more than any of the other people who wrote the Dreamwave stuff. You know, he's a fan favourite. We'll just do what you want. Not the crisis on Infinite Cybertron thing, no. You can't do that. <laughs> maybe when Regeneration One happens, we'll let you. But no. Uh, other than that, do whatever you like. Uh, Play it your way. And uh, the way... He... I'm sounding more negative about it than I actually feel, but the way he uh, played it uh, didn't work. <laughs> uh, in the long run. Uh, even though it is a good, solid bedrock. Oddly enough, my attitude on this comic has shifted over the years, back and forth. I quite liked it at the time. Then, as things went wrong, and I went back and reread it after... Uh, back some Dynamots or whatever for the first time. I really didn't like it. I thought, oh, all the setup here gets no decent payoff. Rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. And uh, we read it again. Uh, the last time I read it before doing this was when I got the hardbacks. That would have been about two years ago or something like that. After I got back into IDW with more of BTI, I went back and collected the hardback, uh, hardbacks of the previous stuff. And uh, I quite enjoyed it. It was sort of uh, retro-y, all that stuff that went wrong doesn't really matter now. Just relax and let it wash over you and enjoy it for what it is, sort of way. Uh, so I'm sort of relaxed about infiltration now. I like it for what it does well, and I'm not that bothered about what it does badly, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, I don't take offence. I mean, I haven't actually... I, I don't think I've actually read this for at least five years. So I was quite surprised before this morning. My opinion of it was like, oh, infiltration's great. It's a great setup great a whole new universe but like oh no actually i don't think that's true on a close examination uh i've had to change my mind about it just just on this reread um so that's you know i don't, I don't think that speaks well of it really uh yeah interesting interesting going back uh, i think the the appropriate jumping on point for new readers really is the designated death of optimus Prime. actually nowadays i'd probably say start off with World Shut Your Mouth, actually. Ah, uh, the post-Dark post Cybertron, yes. Yeah. Do, do not start with uh, Dark Cybertron, whatever you do. Uh, yeah, if I were to say somebody read a Transformers comic for their first one, I would say Last Stand of Wreckers. Okay, it's- yeah. And it doesn't have the line, are you logging on in it? <laughs> You're very angry about the tale of the internet in this comic. That's not really different. Because it wasn't that. It was 2005. Like, the internet had been around for quite a while. You know? Like, I think Furman had just gotten on Facebook or something. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no Facebook then. 
2005. My space, that's what Furby will be on. Point, point is, there'd been enough internet for enough time that he really should have at least, you know, gone to a website at some point. You know, he's not big on research, is he? Not big on... No, I think on... he's... Uh... Uh, very much a sort of a Brian Clements uh, sort of a writer where I sit down and I write it and uh, don't worry about research until afterwards. <laughs> Maybe he had a really fancy palm pilot. That's what he thought was a peak of... Uh, uh, does it even call it a palm pilot in the comic? Or is that just what I, an actual brand? That so he calls it a palm computer. Just yeah, immediate, but... immediately mashing the terminology. Yeah, Hunter's like, hey, is that an S50? Like, how did you get something like that? Huh? You don't just get that off the shelf. Like, what? Where do, where do you buy them from, Ed? <laughs> do they have computers that are so fancy you can't buy them in shops? Or... Yeah, right. Maybe maybe Scorponark just sweats them. There is, there's no mobile phones in this, is there, either. They, they don't, she doesn't call Jimmy Pink on a on her mobile. She sends him a flash mail. Which I don't know what that is, but uh, I'm sure... Well, it's well, something that goes deep, 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 creesh... Which I guess is a modem dialing up. <laughs> you have a modem that's in Ratchet's dashboard, obviously. Oh, no, no, no. It has an onboard cell modem. Stop. Ah, well, blimey, that's... The more I think about that sequence, the more you're making me think that's just sort of handled incredibly badly. <laughs> <laughs> Why does it... A hunter would have a mobile in case he, had, he wanted to bring up one of his UFO friends and say, dude, he would probably have a camera phone in 2005. Yeah. So I had one. Uh, I had the one that Jinx has in Die Another Day. And uh, oh, that, that was a video phone, oh. uh, which uh, was 2002-ish. That phone came out, so I can't remember exactly when I got it. I would have been after that, but he would he would have had a camera phone, take photos. Of yeah, and loads, why doesn't he have a camera as well? And why isn't he taking photos of Ratchet and the battle chargers and? Yeah, stuff? talking about the evidence. There's also a really weird bit where they like do the big reveal with Ratchet, and they know he's a hologram and stuff. But then they go to Jimmy Pink, and they're like, "What? Oh, he's an alien robot? What? What?" What? I mean, if you comment on his smile, but not the fact that he's got fizzy lines on him as well. <laughs> I, I guess that's was it diagenic, non-diagenic. Like we we don't know that. We we don't. We, we only we can see that. Uh, yeah, there's also a question that puzzled me. He has an Autobot style speech bubble as well. So <laughs> how does the Hollow Avatar sound? Does he sound like a Transformer? Again, and Decepticons have different speech bubbles. Do Decepticons sound different? Do they have an accent? What does a speech bubble signify in this comic? What am I telling you? I, I, I think that's you know, the equivalent of a theme tune or um, or a name coming on screen. Like, you know, the characters don't know it. The characters don't. Obviously, Ratchet is passably human, apart from his smile. Oh, dear. Well, I, I suppose on that note, we should wrap things up. <laughs> <laughs> Final thoughts on infiltration, man. Not very good. It's not very good. Art's amazing. Uh, EJ Sue is a real revelation and I think was carrying most of the weight of this relaunch on his shoulders. So, uh, do you think they should have got referred as the author of it? <laughs> Ooh, hmm, hmm, hmm. That's really special. What's also worth remembering is that he hadn't really worked in comics before he did the Dreamwave stuff for a while. He was an editor. So You're right, you're right. So you have been out of the game, but the market had obviously changed a fair bit since, since the mid-90s. Yeah, I mean, but there's a lot of I mean, a lot of ideas in here from his TV show, from the TV show he worked on, Roswell Conspiracies, which was about Men in Black uh, about and alien invasions and things like that, and underground bases. Uh, oh, I oh, that's I I don't know if I'm emotionally equipped to answer that. 
Oh, I throw you a curveball right at the end. Yeah, I, I just, hmm, hmm. I, I will answer my own question then and say, if they were going to structure it like this as miniseries that don't play to Furman's strengths as a writer, and we, uh, it's also apparent here, well, I think the ending is reasonably solid here, but ending of miniseries are a problem for Furman. He struggles with this format as a writer. So if I would have him on board, maybe doing one-shots, because the spotlights generally uh, work better when the miniseries do overall. The spotlights, uh, were, the, the initial run of spotlights were excellent. One-offs he's very good at still. Uh, well, uh, I mean, uh, compared to his work on, uh, on a writing for a trade miniseries, uh, I'd have had him on board as an ideas man, a consultant, uh, the question is, who would you get as the writer at that point? Uh, they seem reticent to use fan writers. And would you launch with somebody like Nick Roach, who never written a comic, professional comic before? I think Nick Roach would have been a fantastic choice. Uh, he would have worked for nothing. Um, <laughs> so that's his uh, joke about Dreamwave, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> he would have... <laughs> <laughs> they, they were willing to take a chance on him by giving him spot, uh, spotlight shockwave. If they, if yeah, Furman had like written a. No, bite. that's why I said Rogue rather than any of the others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got was... radar as an artist. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think he would have been a much better choice because he, you know, he has the, the the fan credentials. It's like something a bit punk rock about him. He is, he would have known how people speak, how humans speak, and. Um, eternally frustrated as a writer, and it would have been good. I think that would have got us off on the right foot. Obviously, of course, for very TM UK, even amongst fandom, is relatively obscure. Uh, Would that have had the same? Would that have been appealing to fans? Uh, In the same moment, having an old hand like Furman on board would have been. Would we have gone? Who is this guy? What's he? He's just written some fanfic. I think it would have had to have either been Furman or an established writer at this point, Uh, somebody with a bit of name recognition, and I. I, I, Warren Ellis was very hot at the time. I imagine they tried to get him. But... Had Kieran Gillen done anything by that point, or did he only come on the scene after? Oh, good question. Of no. course, he's a massive Marvel fan, and he's a very well-respected writer now. I'm not so sure mm. if he would have written anything uh, by then. I suppose uh, I'm not so sure if he, he would have had any credentials already uh, that would have put him on anybody's radar. Well, uh, that's fine. I mean, does Furman have credentials that puts him on anyone's radar except for Transformers fans? But that's who they were the book at, really. They, yeah. Said, not- if they if they had Furman, you know, as the editor, as the ideas man, maybe writing a Bible for it, and then they had someone like Gillen or or Roche, um, I think that would have I think that would have been the best of of all worlds. I'm generally satisfied with how things are at the moment. There'd be rough patches and. But the road infiltration starts us on to, I think, is a road that has been worth travelling on in the end and took us to a good and interesting place. Yeah, I think so. Ten years on, infiltration's looking a bit raggedy. Which I suppose actually is what you'd want. You wouldn't want to go back and look at it from ten years ago and go, wow, this is really so much better than what they're doing now. (laughs) You'd want them to have learnt the lessons and built on the experience and uh, move with the times. So yeah, I think that's not necessarily even a bad thing with its, uh, its age. It's a sign that the current comics are keeping pace. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. yeah. So yes, I think that, that is Infiltration. Ten years old uh, a couple of weeks ago. Goodness uh, me. 
So uh, it's pretty likely unless something drastic happens, IDW will be the longest serving Transformers licensee. Which uh, hey. uh, is surprising and amazing, really, isn't it? I don't think any of us would have expected that 10 years ago. And it's, it seems solid as well. It seems they may have to bend over and take a combiner wars up the ass from Hasbro every now and again. <laughs> it seems to have a solid basis. It doesn't, there's no. Oh, is this all going to go ticked up anytime soon? Feeling at the moment. Oh, I don't know. Prime Wars. Prime Wars. Looks like Hasbro are on the march. Where's our faith? <laughs> if we can survive Combiner Wars, they'll survive anything. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so it's a good place infiltration has took us to. It may not be the best Sonic W Transformers comic, uh, but it's has led to a lot of good work since and it's a reasonably solid foundation for what followed well uh, i guess all you net hikers out there on your palm top uh where you've listened to this on the net for your modem uh there is links to a discussion forum thread where you can leave your feedback by flash mail uh, i'm on this thing called twitter where i am at inflatable dalek and you can give me your feedback there tom what do you want to talk about next time uh, I think it'll be time for the Scavengers two-parter from More Than Meets the Eye. Well, that, that is for another time. So there you go, true believers. This is Podcast Maximus. Oh, I, I missed that one. It's, no, it's all right. It's, I'm tired. Okay. And uh, t- take care of yourselves. And watch out for any uh, evil-looking hollow avatars with strange speech bubbles. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> God.